This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. Your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 162, five lessons from my first professional speech with our guest, Kate McClare. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is Greg Gazin. We have an exciting guest today, Kate McClare. Kate runs a company called Kate's Copy, a writing and editing service specializing in digital, video, and print content for marketing and PR professionals, web designers, of course, and entrepreneurs. Kate is passionate about language and prides herself with her ability to harness the power of the written word for better storytelling. She's also a distinguished Toastmaster and a frequent contributor to the Toastmaster magazine. Coming to us from Hollywood, no, not that Hollywood, but Hollywood, Florida, Kate McClare, welcome to the program. Hi, Greg. Thanks. Nice to be here. <laughs> I remember the last time we spoke, you said you're from the fun Hollywood, the one on the East Coast, not on the West Coast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we first met back in March when you and I and Ryan with the Toastmasters podcast had a great conversation and we, we did an interview called The Powerful Collaboration Between Toastmasters and Rotary International. And at the same time, again, you had said you'd love to work with us together. So I guess you just got me for now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I had a fun time with you on that. I was glad when you you uh, approached me again. Yeah, no, it was a blast. And we'll certainly put a link into the show notes for those people who haven't caught it. <laughs> I follow you on LinkedIn. You had done a post today and it was five lessons that you learned as a speaker. I immediately connected with it and thought, I read through it and I thought, these are basic fundamentals, but sometimes whether we're in haste or perhaps maybe we're all of a sudden too accustomed to Zoom, these are really important reminders that every speaker should remember, especially if they want to make an impact on their audience. And of course, if they're getting paid to speak, they want to have the organizer have them come back. So what made you decide to to put up this post? To be honest, well, I'm, I'm trying to create content that helps people. There's a lot of, of help that people are looking for, not just for giving speeches and presentations to large groups, but with video. There's a lot of people making videos for their websites and for LinkedIn and Facebook and everything. I was, I was just thinking that after I finished this presentation, I, I wanted to make sure that I did better the next time. Not that I did badly or anything, but, um, you know, you always, when, when you finish something like that, you, you always want to sort of self-evaluate yourself. And I just thought it would help people who were trying to polish their presentations. You know, there, there are so many different ways that we do public speaking, not just as standing up before groups, but for work, giving presentations to our work teams clubs and organizations. And like I say, making videos. So it was really just trying to help people that were in my position. <laughs> I love the fact that you made it personal. In fact, you were, you had made a note on LinkedIn that you were going to send a note, a thank you note off to the organizer, but right away you decided, no, I need to get the self-evaluation done. Of course, you want to do it while it's fresh in your mind. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that you decided that you were going to do that because often what happens, we'll do a presentation that's like, okay, well, that's done off to the next one. Whereas you said, okay, as you mentioned before, 
I want to make myself better. So let's kick off by maybe going through a couple of those points that you chatted about, and perhaps you can elaborate a little bit more on them. Mm -hmm. The first point you mentioned was about reading the room, and you made a note that you were the last speaker. And what I liked about that is it's more than just knowing your audience. So tell us a little bit about that particular point. You always want to get a sense of the room that you're speaking in before you speak. Um, so you know, you know the size of the room, what the technology is. Before I, I got up there, I was picturing everything from thousands of people in a huge, like a stadium, because you know you get sort of, you can get nervous, uh, to just a small group like in my Toastmasters club. To me, the most the most helpful reading was the audience because I, I got a sense of, of how, what sort of, of material they responded to, just what type of people they were. They were very engaged. They really liked to participate. When, when the speakers would ask questions or invite comments, they really got in there and, and participated. It really made me comfortable sitting there among them, listening just like another member of the audience. So it was almost like it was almost like being in my Toastmasters club where I kind of got to know a lot of the people, not, not intimately, but, you know, I, I got a sense of, you know, oh, she's very talkative and she's very funny, you know? So I, I so it kind of made me feel good about when it was my turn. I thought that was actually pretty powerful because again, knowing your audience is something that's helpful. And quite often you get that information up front or you might inquire from the organizer mm -hmm. or just do some research, but you specifically did something that a lot of people don't do because quite often if they're the last speaker, they're probably in the back pacing back and forth, worried about whether or not they're going to mess up or worried about whether or not they're going to be mm -hmm. engaging with the audience. But you sat there and you read the audience and you said, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to do something different or I'm going to follow the pattern. There was one, the 2017 World Champion of Public Speaking. And in fact, the conference was in Vancouver. He had mentioned when we interviewed him that because the contest, I think, was at night rather than in the afternoon or might have been vice versa, I guess he saw the energy in the room. In fact, I think it might have been later in the evening, and I think he mentioned, he noticed that people were tired. So he actually made a few tweaks on the fly hmm. to be able to do that. So yeah, reading the room, that's just absolutely phenomenal. It worked for you, right? Oh, yeah, very much. So that's your first point is, is reading the room. Mm -hmm. The second point you talked about was rehearse. I mean, it's obvious that we all need to rehearse, but what is your philosophy and did you do anything different for this particular group? Yes, my, my philosophy is you can't practice enough. In fact, I interviewed Ryan Avery and uh, a couple of other world champion speakers who had come to my Toastmasters District's annual conference as keynote speakers. They all said they practice over and over and over again until until it can, comes naturally. The mistake that a lot of people, including me in the past, make is that we think, oh, I'm going to be, if I rehearse it, I'll, I'll be so boring and dry and I won't feel it anymore. You know, I need to be spontaneous and, you know, it'll ruin my energy if I, if I rehearse too much. No, that's not it at all. They, they all tell me they practice it so much that it, they internalize it so that they know the material and it, and it also helps if they have to do a last minute change, you know, if they have to improvise something. But practice is something you just can never get enough of because all, all the best speeches that I've ever done have been ones that I've rehearsed a lot. 
<clears throat> instead of doing them on the fly or just going, oh, well, you know, it's, I'm just telling a story. I don't need to rehearse a story. That's the biggest thing, I think. When you rehearse, do you go from beginning to end each time or do you rehearse certain sections? Or if you feel there's an area that you're strong at, you might pass that over and just work on the areas that you have some, maybe it doesn't flow as well? I do sort of both ways. I will, first of all, I have to create a script for myself. I'm not one of those bullet points talkers. You know, I can't just write, you know, 10 points and look at it and then start talking. I have to have an actual word for word script. And it's not that I need to memorize the speech because, you know, if you if you recite a speech from memory, people can tell what you're doing because they can see you in their head. <laughs> but I, I do that so that it gives me confidence that the content is there. And then I, I'll, I'll read it from the script several times all the way through, and I'm sort of memorizing it. But then I'll start rehearsing chunks of it, like just doing the opening five or 10 times so that I, I remember what I want to say. And then, you know, then I, then I can depart from the actual word for word script. I work hardest on the opening. I think I need to be paying more attention to the middle. I'll, I'll sort of run it. I'll run it through several times from beginning to end. And then I'll just kind of work on pieces of it. One of the champion speakers told me that one way he rehearsals is he breaks his presentation up into sections and he assigns a certain section of the stage to each section. Somebody will rehearse with him and say, okay, A, and he'll immediately jump to the material he was giving in at a certain part of the stage. Obviously, the opening is really important because that's, in fact, your next point that you brought up in your little post. And it said, you know, start with a bang. I love the fact that you're thinking, yeah, people are looking at their watches and they, they want to get to happy hour. <laughs> I remember that one year I did a conference. It was called Dexio 2014, Developing Excellence and Others. And this conference had started about 8 or 8.30. And I was on at 5 p.m. By the end of the day, I know I was tired. So I had to try yeah. to make sure I found ways of of keeping people engaged. So what is your philosophy? How do you think you did in your presentation? And what are some of the takeaways for people with respect to being able to start with that bang? I think I did well. I was really happy to get some laughs in the opening. It's always nice when you have to wait for the laughter to, to die down before you start. One reason, again, that it was helpful to be the last speaker is there was a, a an attendee who she was answering a question or making a comment. And she said, you know, actually, basically right now, all I want to do is go get a drink. <laughs> you know? So when I opened the presentation was on business email and on whether we are too casual about the way we address each other in email. My opening was sort of a, a spoken version of, you know, LOL, OMG and all this emoji talk and everything just to like to sort of have them imagine if we if we actually talk the way we write some of our emails after I did that and they they seemed to enjoy it I said well I don't really talk like that but <laughs> I'm the last speaker on the last day of this conference and I know that some of you are just thinking about going to get a drink and so that was fun I was really kind of proud of this I was able to connect it to a previous presenter there was a psychologist or, or a therapist who did um, a really interesting presentation that involved some brain research. And she talked about the, the prefrontal cortex, which 
is our sort of rational, the rational part of the brain. And it's what we use when we're, when we get the fight or flight question, it's the part of the brain that holds us back and says, wait, let's, let's think about this for a minute. So I, I said, you know, in the email to avoid embarrassment, you should, you know, wait a little bit. Don't respond immediately. Let your prefrontal cortex take over, which that, and that's another reason it's, it's great to be near the end of a presentation or a, a schedule because you can use material from your predecessors to engage a little more. Yes, it shows also that you've paid attention. They see that you've been paying attention for the day. So you you got their attention, you added some humor, you related to the fact that, yes, it was late in the day. So it sounds like they were actually, in fact, listening to you. And perhaps maybe that drink could have waited just a little bit longer until you were done. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, the next point you brought up is really interesting. You had suggested that perhaps you might have needed more visuals, but often sometimes I find that there's just way too many slides and people rip mm-hmm. through them. And sometimes the adage, the old adage of less is more sometimes prevails, but in your particular case, you didn't feel that way? Well, I felt like, I think I may have overcompensated for the death by PowerPoint. It is a terrible problem that a lot of people, it'll they'll actually use it as an excuse for not practicing. You know, they go, oh, well, it's all, all here. I'll just read the slide. No big deal. I've seen presentations where there was so much text on the, on the slide, you can't read it whatsoever. It's all fine print. It's great if, if you had a book in front of you, but, but I still feel like I, I probably could have used a few more, two or three bullet points at most on a slide, just because there are people who are visual learners and people who are oral learners and some of our combinations, I'm a combination of the two. I need to see what I'm hearing. If you overcompensate and don't have enough slides, you do end up being kind of a talking head. I was glad to be able to black out some of the slides so that they weren't distracting from what I was saying. Okay. So you're what you're basically saying is, because I know quite often now you see a lot of PowerPoint presentations where a lot of them are just visuals. They're just photos. There might be one or two words, yeah. but you're saying that sometimes because of the way people learn, you're saying that it's probably a good idea to add bullet points, but obviously not too many. Right. I think if you're if you're giving hard information, you should have it on a slide. It doesn't mean that you have all of the information, just the key point, and then you can elaborate on it. I find it more helpful to see the main point on the screen and then listen to the explanation of it. Okay, that's that's interesting. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm just wondering, is there is there an example perhaps you could share? It's always a great idea to end a speech by wrapping up with your three main takeaways. You don't need to put all of the, the explanation for it on the screen, just three simple bullet points, and then you fill in the details strictly verbally. Does that make any more sense? Yeah, that actually makes sense because I'm thinking that with, I don't know how many speakers there were, but obviously if you're the last speaker and it's the end of the day or the, or the end of the day is nigh, is that, is that a proper term to use? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> then they're going to forget a lot of things. And perhaps the fact that you just put it, here are the three takeaways for today. Then and the fact that you were the last speaker, that just might resonate with them. And it just might be something that will, they'll remember. It'll be memorable for them. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, the other possibility, of course, is you could share your slides with them after the fact. Who knows if people will look at them afterwards? I know sometimes I get material and I probably don't look at all of it. 
just because of the quantity that I get. Yeah. I think a, a rule of thumb is probably, like I say, with hard information, put it up there. Simple visuals are, are, are great too. Just a, a picture, I guess, like everything else, it depends on the subject. Absolutely. Last but not least, but it probably won't be the last, or but your last point was you talked about working the room, getting the audience involved. So what did you do to to accomplish that? I had members of the audience read slides. The subject was business email. So I found a couple of really bad emails that I'm I'm gonna assume that they were actually real ones because they were so they were so bad. I can't imagine anyone actually thinking they should send it. But anyway, <laughs> but I found them. So I put them up. I had somebody read uh, read the email, and then just kind of said, "So what do you think? Is this something that you would send or you would not send? What 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 would you find?" Is um, just to get thoughts on the email, and then later. Uh, at the end, I had them do a group activity where they divided them in, up by tables, and I had each table rewrite one of the emails that I had shown. This was definitely where visuals helped because I just I put it up on the screen and everybody looked at it. I was going to originally bring printed versions of these emails and hand them out to the tables, but then I realized it would have been a hassle to set it up. So I just said, here's this email have your table write a better one. And then they read them at the end of the of the session and it was fun. When I had people reading the bad emails, the people who did it were very good. They were they got a lot of feeling into the, you know, and they they made it sound as silly as they were. So that was fun. Oh, that's great. So with respect to these emails, when you're asking them to read them, did people actually admit that they sent these types of emails? No. I had been given some advice. These were CPAs, very serious people, you know, although, you know, fun people too, but I mean, they took their work seriously or they wouldn't have been there. I was advised, I think there was good advice to make them feel or let them know, you know, they're smart. You say things like, okay, I know you guys would never do this. You would never write a business email like this, but we'll have a little fun. And so it, it kind of makes them feel like, you know, like, like, I know you're not supposed to do that stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, and sort of, but, but for the benefit of someone in the audience who might actually do that, you know, here's a few things that we'll point out. Gotcha. 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 Well, CPRs are very smart and of course we rely mm-hmm. heavily on them, but it's also possible that sometimes someone's having an off day or it's, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and yeah. perhaps they send something out that maybe should be a little, maybe, maybe should be tweaked before they actually send it out. Yeah. That would have been a, a really good way of, of presenting it too. Yeah. Now, did you feel that in terms of getting the audience involved in working the room, you found that that was successful? Were there any suggestions for improvement there that you made for yourself or any other suggestions that you felt perhaps the next time I would deliver the same speech or a similar speech, this is what I would do? I think I would tweak the group activity, I guess, owing to the fact that it was uh, at the end of the day, one or two tables, (laughs) when I asked them to read their email, they said, oh, we did exactly what they did. (laughs) So... So I'm not sure how if they were all into that as much. I think I would have maybe allowed a little bit more time for questions or comments because uh, I found myself, I got a lot of good comments, 
but I found like I had to kind of keep moving. So I didn't take a lot of them. So I would, I would do that more and probably actually allow for more, a little bit more group participation, like asking them to give examples of email issues that they've had. I think there's always room for more audience involvement, especially at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that's a nice thing. And you had said that this was your first speech actually outside of Toastmasters that you had ever given. And also, obviously, the first time that you've given this particular speech. So Mm -hmm. you take a look at it, see what you can do better for next time, and you can tweak it. But it sounds like it was successful. Yeah, I was pleased that at the end of after everything was over, people came up to me and said they enjoyed it. And they could have snuck by me. They, I wasn't looking them in the eye as they walked past, So, but don't think like anybody felt like they had to compliment me just to be nice. So that was good. And I got a few LinkedIn connection requests, which was also good. That's awesome. So we've talked about a lot of things, and I know that you've given us some pointers in addition to what was posted in the post. What for you was the biggest takeaway that you got from all this? The same thing that I that I, I think is true of any speech or presentation to any group, which is that it's not about you. It's about the audience. It doesn't matter what the audience thinks about you or, or, what, or how you feel. It's about what you can teach the audience, what you're there to help them. So when you're creating the presentation, you need to think, what does this audience need to learn and how can I teach them what they need to learn and and what is the best way to present that so that they will take the information. I found that in any situation, any time that I've stopped worrying about, you know, oh God, I'm it's a huge group. I've never spoken to this many people. I, I don't know my material well enough, blah, you know, on and on and on. As soon as you stop thinking that and think, I'm here to help the audience, I'm here to give them something, then it immediately relaxes you. It takes the pressure off yourself and makes you think of what, what you can do for them. They're here. You know, the audience is there thinking, what's in it for me? What have you got for me? That's the most important thing for, for any presentation, I think. Especially late in the afternoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Apart from serving drinks, you know, I mean, what else do they want? <laughs> Well, Kate, this has been great. You've given us some sage advice. Just a quick wrap up is for Kate's five key points that or takeaways that she got from giving her presentation was number one was read the room. Number two, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And of course, whatever format makes sense for you. Number three, start with a bang. Number four, more visuals or appropriate number of visuals, but take into account the fact that people learn differently. And number five, work the room, get them involved, have presentations, ask them to read slides or whatever seems to be appropriate. And finally, remember folks that it's all about them and not about you. (laughs) Does that about wrap it up, sum it up, right? (laughs) Yes, that was great. Thank you so much. You're most welcome, Kate. And if people want to find out more about your presentation or they want to read and they want to reach you perhaps at Kate's Copy, what's the best way for them to find you? They can go to my website, which is katescopy.net. I'm on LinkedIn at Kate McClare, katescopy, K-A-T-E-S-C-O-P-Y.net. That's absolutely fantastic. And we'll certainly put a link to all of these connections in the show notes and also a link to the previous 
podcast that we did with you. Kate McClare, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks for tuning in from Hollywood, Florida. Yes. Thank you so much, Greg. It was great to talk to you again. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com. <laughs>